I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. I'm Sean. I'm and I'm the executive chef at the Rural Cafe. It's Friday lunch, so we're here with all the chefs cooking away. Yeah, nice. I know it's busy in here. <laughs> and I'm Gemma. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And I'm the host of The Psychology of Your 20s, oh, the podcast. Really cool. Gemma Speg and I met for the first time just a few days ago in the River Cafe. She was introduced to me as the most exciting podcaster today. Not great for my ego. Distance keeps us apart. She lives in Sydney. I live in London, and we're in different stages of our lives, for sure. But that doesn't seem to matter. We both love talking to people, we both love eating delicious food, and we both love pondering situations and finding solutions. Listen to the titles of some of her episodes on Psychology of Your 20s, and you'll see why I am hooked. Embrace your authentic self. Daddy issues? Why we date the wrong people? career anxiety, disillusionment, and feeling stuck. Gemma has been in the River Cafe cooking asparagus fondue to with the chefs. We're going to have lunch and talk some more. On Monday, she's going back to Australia, but something tells me I'm not letting her go. That's for sure. That's oh for sure. So tell me about cooking fonduta. How was that in the River Cafe kitchen? It was amazing. I actually used to work in a restaurant. I used to work at a steak restaurant, yep, in Australia. Where? In Canberra, so Canberra, capital of Australia. It was how I paid my bills when Mm -hmm. I was at uni and broke. And so it was really fun to come back and to be back in the same kind of situation and cooking something and... Uh, actually, we didn't cook much uh, fresh food <laughs> so, at the steak restaurant. At the steak restaurant, yeah. no, it was duck fat potatoes. So asparagus, fresh asparagus, yeah. was a nice treat. That's for sure. <laughs> Let's do it! I'm so excited. Cool. So we're gonna cook um, asparagus, which is really slap bang in season now. Like mm. it's English asparagus, and it's it's exactly peak season. Yeah. And then we've made a sauce out of um, creme fraiche. Egg yolks and parmesan. It's really yummy. But the sauce is it's just you put the three ingredients together and cook them together, and we've done that. Yeah. And I'll just show you how we put it together. Oh, I'm so excited! Yay! Okay, so that. How long it did you so, leave it in? Not very long. Not very long at all. Maybe three or four minutes, but because it's so fresh, yeah. it doesn't take that long to cook. Yeah. It's super fresh. Actually, probably slightly. Oh, look, I I'm love the green it when it turns that beautiful yeah. shade of green. It's just gorgeous. Then what we do is we have this sauce, which is really yummy. Ooh. 
was just put on the plate like this. Wow. It looks like custard almost, but I know it's savoury. Exactly. You can do platters of it for, wow. for guests, you know. So you can up the size based on oh, exactly. how many people. Or how hungry you are. Yeah. Or how hungry they are. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Look at that. Simple, but amazing. A bit of cheese. Oh. Do you like more or less? More. Yeah, me too. You've got to have more parmesan. Exactly. You never have too much. This sauce just makes everything better. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Oh my goodness. Sometimes I'm going to we... finish this whole piece. <laughs> this is probably one of our most popular dishes that we have on a lunchtime. Yeah, lovely. But also with the sun. With the sun. Oh. And a glass of wine. And a glass, and a glass of wine, of course. So would you like to read the recipe? Yes, please. Okay. This recipe says it serves six. I grew up in a big family, so it's going to serve ten at least. So we're going to up some of these portions. Uh, it recommends a kilo and a half of asparagus. Let's change that to three, just for fun. Leftovers are always nice. 200 grams of parmesan. You know, double that, it's 400, but everyone loves parmesan cheese. You know, you never want to stop, so let's say 500, freshly grated. Garlic as well, one clove of garlic, peeled and crushed, of course. And then 400 milliliters of, I don't actually know how to pronounce this, creme fraiche? Creme fraiche. Creme fraiche. It's a, it's a kind of soured cream that you get in, in France. Mm, it's lovely. nice. I had some before but when I had this, so mm. 800 mils for that. And then four large organic and, of course, free-range egg yolks. We're not here for cage. Sorry, guys. Um, so your first step will be to use a medium saucepan, maybe large in this instance, that will fit inside another larger saucepan with enough room to half fill with water. We're going to rub that crushed garlic around the surface of the smaller pan, get all those flavors in there, and add the cream and a nice amount of parmesan, maybe more than we suggested, and, of course, your egg yolks. Place the pan on top of the hot water and stirring gently until the sauce thickens. That should be about 15 minutes. And of course, salt and pepper, let's season it well. Snap off the ends of the asparagus and cook that in the boiling water for three to four minutes. Interestingly, when I had it, it was a bit al dente, which was really, really nice. So maybe sitting a little bit below that three minutes, whatever takes your fancy. And then drain it, place in a warm bowl and pour the fondue over the asparagus maybe add a little bit of olive oil if you're feeling extra excited by that of course the river cafe olive oil is amazing so that would be my preference and serve with you guessed it even more grated parmesan there it is beautiful great Do you cook for yourself? Oh, absolutely. Do you? Yeah, oh, I cook cool. so much. I think I travel so much, right, that when I'm home and when I'm back in Sydney, I really don't want to go out and, and eat out all the time or order in. I want to be alone or, or with my – I live with housemates, actually. Yeah, still. how I'm, many? I live with three boys, three oh, guys in their 20s. Mm. It's very a, a new girl situation if you've seen that TV show. And – one of my favorite things to do when I'm back is to cook something for them. So every Sunday night we do, I call it family dinner. Mm. We're not related, but 
by by hearts we are by yeah, minds. Something that I did, I when lockdown sort of eased up, mm. we were allowed to go out, but everybody was pretty much in their own homes. A friend of mine was making a movie, actually, say with Austin that Butler. Is. We talked about Austin a minute ago, and we started having Sunday night supper. So I would cook, they would kind of do some shopping, or we'd cook and just get together, and then we played a game of cards. And there were about eight of us, and we met. Every Sunday night for almost 30, well, for 39 weeks, you wow. know, it just became very important. A Sunday night dinner kind of is end of the week, the beginning of the new week. Sundays are kind of grim. Is that what you, what do you like about Sunday night suppers? That is spot on. And I think mm. it emulates a family system that we, when we get older, we don't have. Mm. But the way that I really saw it was you start your week off doing something for someone else. Mm-hmm. So it was a really beautiful way for me to express my love for these people and and show them generosity by going and getting a leg of lamb or making Italian meatballs or lasagna Mm. and really starting the week off having done something for someone else. And we also play cards. Did you? Yeah. What was your game? Okay. So ours is actually Monopoly deal. So it's, it's a card version of Monopoly. So maybe not as, um, do you buy and sell hotels? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's the only hotel. it's the only taste that of uh, of property ownership I think I'm going to get for a while. So <laughs> it keeps <laughs> well, me on maybe my toes. Not with your five, but the, maybe, um, not. Yeah, maybe not. Who do you live with? What are the guys like? They're amazing. I I really love them. One of them is an actor. One of them is in finance. One of them mm. is in marketing. It's very different from what I do. Maybe mm. Jack is is the actor. He's actually moving to Paris soon. So mm. the Sunday dinners are sadly coming to an end um, yeah. in October. But it's also really it's it's nice I think in some ways because it makes me feel quite maternal as mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. and I think that's an instinct that I've always had, and I think that food and family are very much synonymous. So maybe it's because I always saw my mom doing this mm. for me and and for my dad and for my cousins and my aunts and my uncles that I've really taken the reins from it. I've taken that from her, and it's. It's really interesting when we think about psychology, actually, everyone's like, I don't want to turn into my parents. Mm. I don't want to be like them. And I'm like, I absolutely want to be like her. Yeah, she, has, yeah. she has generosity running through her blood. She's mm. a wonderful woman. I found that very touching when you said you want to be like your mother. That's yeah. every parent's dream. <laughs> and um, it certainly was mine as well. I think, you know, you can tell people who come from happy families where they were loved and where they want to love. So tell me what it was like growing up in your house Mm. it's interesting my dad's from Queensland so it's kind of rural it's a bit rough and tumble sometimes my mom's actually from Wisconsin so oh she's American she's American yeah how'd she end up in Australia uh it's kind of actually a hard story you know her parents got divorced and her dad kind of walked out of the picture she hasn't spoken to him for a while you know she won't mind me saying that and um she moved with with my grandma and uh, they moved to Australia, and it, it was a, it was really hard. I think when they first got here, she was old enough to to really have friends and to want to assimilate. She was around fourteen, um, and I think that's actually a really hard age to move. But it has made her a wonderful mother because she really understands the importance of yeah. of belonging. And my dad grew up in a big family, so he understood that as well. And they met in Australia. They met in Australia. They met at a cricket game, hmm. um, and. My mom went up to him and was like, I think you're really cute. Um, and the rest is history. And they did long distance for a while. They have such a beautiful story there. It's really nice being able to look at your parents and mm. realize that they still really like each other. Mm. 
and that they really get along. And every night I'll go home and they always share a glass of wine together. Mm. They cook for each other still, like I said, food and love and family. Yeah. Are you an only child? I'm not. I have two sisters. So what would meals be like? Tell me about food in your house oh, growing up. I love up. to. So my mum, it was actually, um, she, was the, she was the breadwinner. She worked full time. She travelled a lot. It, we didn't actually see her very much for a little while because she was, you know, trying to provide for the family. My dad was a stay-at-home dad. Mm. So what did she do? She's a, an economist, mm. um, and so she, she. It's so different from what I do, right? She mm. had, she talks about money all day. Mm. I talk about feelings, um, and she. So she would be traveling, but she would always try and come back for at least two to three nights. And my dad would cook for us. Mm. And actually, the, the meal that I most associate with my childhood is by Jamie Oliver. He has this tuna pasta dish. It was in his book, 15-Minute Meals. Yeah. It's tuna and it's, it's got this amazing basil flavor and cinnamon. Mm. And it's like you would never think that tuna and cinnamon would go well, but it's like delicious and it's my comfort meal now because we ate it so much. You know, my dad was really trying to look after three, yeah. three young girls and um, my sister's and one of my sisters is, is an athlete, so there was also a lot of driving to practices. And what is her sport? It's a, it's an Australian sports football, so AFL, Australian mm-hmm. Football League. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like rugby. Mm-hmm. She's really tall. She's, tall. she's like she's like over six foot. Wow. She's tall. She's beautiful. She's mm-hmm. she's so kind. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's the meal I most associate. That or a tuna pasta bake. Yeah. A lot of tuna. Simple. Yeah, tuna. Yeah. <laughs> and then for dessert, we would have berry cobbler. Which is a classic, right? Everyone, when you think of cobbler, you think of warmth and cosy and childhood. And mm, what is berry cobbler? Can you describe mm. it? So berry cobbler, it's kind of like, I think it was like kind of a poor man's dish back in the day because it's mm. super simple to make. It's these berries that you cook in this like amazing sugary syrup and with butter. And then on top you put like egg and more butter and sugar and flour together and you and you mix it all up and then crumble it on it's the like top. It's a crumble. It's a crumble. Yeah. So you grew up with your dad and he would cook it would every night be a different kind of dinner. Did he Yeah. Did he really spend time on making sure that everything was good? He did. So he's from an Italian family. So I think it's like this generational thing. His mom used to put so much care into her meals and he would do that for us. And when your mom cooked, what would she cook? She loves fresh food. Mm. We used to do this thing called snack plate. Mm-hmm. And well, it's what we, that would mean was we would go to the markets with her when she was back on Saturday or Sunday, the Queen Victoria markets, if you're ever in Melbourne. It's amazing. You know, if you live there, you know all the tenders and you know everyone. And she would take us and we would all get to choose what snacks we would want on the snack plate. It's kind of like a charcuterie board. Yeah. It's charcuterie boards before we knew what that yeah. was. Yeah. And with very cheap deli meats, not prosciutto, but we would, yeah. and we would have carrots and she would always get these amazing cherry tomatoes and cucumber that she would slice and dips. And it was very like Mediterranean mm. and we would put it down on the table and then there was always a portion for sweet foods and the one the sweet food that we'd always get was chocolate covered um, pretzels mm-hmm. and they like they were amazing <laughs> she was she worked so hard you know she yeah. but she still wanted to when she had the time to provide and, and to do amazing things and every Christmas she would she's she's the the pillar of our family Christmases mm-hmm. nothing would no one would eat without that woman mm-hmm. like she's she's such a provider 
So this was your growing up. Mm. You're growing up with this food, with your father cooking, your mother coming back from a business trip and cooking. What were your teenage years like? Were you quite a happy teenager or was it conflicted? Mm, I actually wasn't, I don't think. I was mm. very, um, I think I was, I was a bit of a strange child. I was a bit of a strange teenager. In what way? Um, I was very, I was very focused on academic success and I went to a public school in inner city Melbourne where it was the thing to be very different and to be, you know, drinking early and to be doing like rock and roll music and to be, it was very like punk almost. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of, I was a very anxious teenager and I just wanted to, to do well in school and I wanted to, to, to go on to university. I wanted to spend time in nature and by myself. And I think that I was kind of lonely. I had mm -hmm. had friends, but um, I think I've always wanted to examine things deeper in a way that can sometimes make people a bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're younger and talking yeah. about your feelings isn't really as popular as it is now. And so it actually meant that I left home really young. Wow, how old were you? I'd, I'd just turned 17 mm. to go to university. because I where, where was that? I went to Canberra. So I in Australia, it's really uncommon to move away from your home city, but I think I was just like, I need to, I need to. How far is Canberra from Melbourne? It's around an eight-hour drive. Oh, is it? So, yeah. yeah, and sure. it was. It wasn't a, in Australia. That's not that far, mm. but in other places, you know, in Europe, that's mm. that's really far. So, yeah. and I moved out of home, and I think that's. This is going to sound weird, but I think that's where like I really came alive and. I became a person rather than mm. just someone who has memories and other mm. people's thoughts about me. Mm. What made you kind of blossom in that way from, from your high school to college? I think it was like I'm in this new place, no one knows who I am. Mm. You could make your own identity. Yeah, and it, and it actually was it's, that was such a good question because it, it was like I didn't actually need to make my own identity. It was like my identity was, was already yeah. there and I just let people see it. And... I just met the best people I've ever met in my life. I'm still I'm really, really close with them. And what were they like? They were just so intelligent. It was this shared value set. We'd all moved away from home in an environment where that's not common yeah. for a reason. And we moved into this shared living. We lived in this massive dorm at uh, 550 people. And the kitchen, actually, it was self-catered. It was the largest non-industrial, non-commercial kitchen in the Southern Hemisphere. Really? Oh, it was For students. For students, yeah. Did they have chefs to no. cook it? You were all just allowed to go in there and make your own food. Yeah. Can you imagine what no. that was like? I can't, yeah. It was, I'll give you one word, messy. Uh, yeah, messy. Messy. Yeah. It was yeah. gross. <laughs> yeah. So what would you do? Would you go in there and just clean up before you started or would you just sort of, how did you work in a kitchen like that? Um, we, yeah, you would need to clean up. Also, we, you'd have to lock away your stuff because mm. everyone's everyone's poor. They everyone wants, you know, if you have Lurpak butter, mm. that was such like a, a luxury <laughs> item. That would go yeah. missing so quickly. Yeah. Or avocados, oh, don't mm. even try it. And so we would come down and we would actually, you would have a little group. You never wanted to go alone because it was so mm. intimidating. There's 500 people in a kitchen and we're all 18 and we're all uncomfortable in ourselves and, you know, Doing, we feel embarrassed just mm. by being alive mm. at that age, mm. I think. And uh, you would always text your friends and be like, okay, anyone want to eat? And we'd mm. come down, we would cook together. And there was the staple meals, mm. right? Pesto pasta. Okay. Of course. Mm. A stir fry, mm -hmm. naturally. And then always a frozen meal. Oh. 
Okay. I know that's not. That's okay. Yeah. I never I, did that. I, you didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and were you st- what were you studying at the time? So I obviously studied psychology, but mm. then little known fact, I also studied a Bachelor of Politics, mm. Economics and Philosophy. So I wanted to be a politician. Did you? Yeah. I can understand that. I was really invested in becoming the um, Minister for Women. Okay. At the time in Australia, it was a man who was the Minister for Women. It doesn't make any sense. And I was like, I find that so uncomfortable. I want to change that. I want to, I want to work for DFAT. I want to mm. change women's lives. I want to change people's lives. And then I think I slowly became someone else and I always had this fascination with psychology. Because psychology is really interesting in terms of what you're doing now, but that path through the psychology at at university, what was that? What did you learn? I learned so much. I was, but I learned so much, but then at the time I had stopped working in the restaurant Mm -hmm. and I started working in um, child maltreatment research Mm -hmm. Because it paid really well at first, I was like, oh, this is, I have this background and I've learned all these things and this job is going to pay really well. Mm. And then suddenly I was like, it doesn't matter if this doesn't pay well, this is like what I want to do. So I'd just done a, one of the best courses I ever did was personality psychology and then also developmental psychology. And I think when we think about psychology, we think about disordered thinking, we think about mental Mm. ill health. And this was about just being like, your average person is more interesting and nuanced and wonderful than the whole universe. Like everything, Mm. everyone is made so differently. And I took some of that experience. I started working um, for this study called the child maltreatment study in Australia. And it's like the first of its kind to ever track um, the outcomes from people who have experienced neglect or abuse into adulthood. Mm -hmm. And I was doing qualitative research for that. So I was talking to people and it was hard, but I, I was like, this is what I want to do. And I know that if I do something else, I won't be able to do that. Sorry, I know this isn't a, no, it's about food. No, no, but, no, yeah. but it's the same. And also in, when you started, you started out by saying that you cooked Sunday night mm. dinners to make people, and there was a whole connection. It wasn't just to feed your friends or to have a great day shopping and cooking. There mm. was a definite connection with people and making them feel loved, making them feel oh, yeah. a memory of their family, making them feel ready for the week, making them feel, you know, making them feel understood, mm. and that you cared about them. And I think that this all seems to be tied in, you know, yeah. with what you're doing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit betterhelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. Betterhelp.com slash Ruthie. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I always wanted to practice. I was like, I'm going to go back to practicing. I'm going to become a psychologist. And that was the trajectory I was on. And then I became a therapist for people in an entirely new way that I think only this generation and this like the last few decades have allowed like suddenly Mm. it's almost so much more efficient sometimes I I say to people like obviously take my advice with a grain of salt I don't know you you don't know me we don't have this bond I don't know we don't have a relationship but I think the beauty of being able to immerse myself in the theory and then also to Mm. do a lot of that work with children and and with people who experience domestic violence as well was that I'm able to make all of that knowledge so much more accessible with people who need it without it being wrapped up in all this mm. academic jargon. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'll go back and, f- and finish it up. I'm thinking about doing a PhD. That would be so much fun. Yeah, why not? Yeah, honestly. Just keep going. From yeah. one, one podcaster to another, if we've heard the story of your university child days, mm. tell me how did it happen? How did you decide? Is it true that it started in the back of a car? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Tell me about that. That's the true. I so actually it started I went to a breakup. Um and it was when COVID was happening and it was I'd been dating him for almost just over two years. Mm. It was my first love. Mm. And I thought we were gonna get married and it just like devastated me and then suddenly everything was locked down. And all the things that you normally do to heal after a hurt. You know, you go to the gym, you go traveling, you go out with your friends. You tell can, your friends. You yeah. tell your friends everything. They come over, you get drunk, everyone's, mm. they cry with you. And suddenly you couldn't do that. And I just one day had this idea. I have this theory that sometimes there's something in the world that just places an idea in your brain and you just have to grab it. Like you just, it's, it's like a gift. Everyone gets an idea that could be the the choice of their life at some point, but you have to be like, this is, I'm going to take this now and it's mine and I'm going to give it everything. I'm going to, I'm going to like birth this idea. And that just kind of happened. I was like, one day I was like, oh, the psychology of your twenties. I wonder what that would be like. Oh my goodness. And then I called my best friend and I was like, what do you think about like, if I started a podcast and she was like, that would be such a great outlet for you. I think she was sick of listening to me have the conversations I now have on the show with her. And so I was like, let's do this mm. and just googled like where can I how to start a podcast I literally mm. went on WikiHow. yeah yeah I understand that yeah I never ever thought that it would be what it became I just wanted to do it I, I, I always say to people I would have kept doing it even if no one listened where did the idea of doing it in the back of your car come from oh I'm sorry I forgot the back of the car <laughs> well I lived in a house with six yeah, seven people, people. It's, and we had very thin walls so the only place I had that was private was mm. my Subaru Forester 2007. Wait, so you're still at university? I'm still at university, mm. yeah. Mm. I started it when, in my final year. Mm. Um, and I sat in the back of my car with my phone and I was like, today we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. And, mm. you know, this is, I'm starting this podcast and I'd written a script as well. And I'd printed it out at the, one of, one of my housemates has a printer. And I sat there with my phone in one hand recording mm. it. 
and then the thing in the other hand and I had the overhead light on and only one of them works and it just just and also sorry this is so funny my car's very old and I don't take good care of it so you, you can actually you lock yourself in like all the time and the oh, keys right. don't unlock it so you oh. have to roll down the window and yeah. get out and, then, and so I actually think that happened why, <laughs> I got locked you- in my car did you have guests on your show or did you just do it by yourself from the I, beginning? I did have guests, but they were my friends. So mm. it's interesting. I look, They'd come and sit in the car with you. Yeah, they'd come yeah. and sit in the car. Or I would go, we would do it at their house. Like I remember one of my, my best friends, Phoebe, oh gosh, she's amazing. And we sat on the ground in her kitchen or like lounge room and we had like a little stool in front of us and we had like we were just getting drunk and we recorded an episode and it's still up oh which one is that let's get friendly with phoebe and um he just talked about and i feel they've all given me permission now you know when we recorded these i i didn't think that there was going to be millions of people listening Mm. to them so we're telling them about where we went to primary school. We're telling them about our first pet's name, all the questions that your bank asked you for your yeah. security code. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. These <laughs> yeah and, and then only at the start of this year did I really start getting uh, like guests on that um, I maybe hadn't met before, have only met a couple of times, yeah. and not people that I've known for six, seven years. Yeah. As your success became mm-hmm. more evident, were you able to eat more kind of the food that you wanted to eat? Were you able yeah. to afford better food? Can I tell mm. you a secret? Yes. So the podcast took a while to take off, so I yeah. was working a nine-to-five job. Yeah. But I remember the first time I ever made like a scent from the podcast, mm-hmm. I went to this restaurant in Sydney um, called Toddy's. Everyone knows it. It's so mm. amazing. And I went to Toddy's and I ordered a bread, I ordered a burrata, I ordered these tomatoes, and I ordered a chocolate torta. Torte? I can torta. remember that, yeah. Tortas. I can remember it because it's my favorite meal. Yeah. It's my, like, if I'm going to go and spend money on a meal yeah. in Sydney, where I am, I'm, I'm going to Toddy's. They know me now. Same. And a limoncello spritz. I don't, most people don't like them, but I think they're great. It's interesting that people like you, or many people that I've talked to, measure in a way, their success through the ability to eat more interesting food. Yeah, that's so true. And I think also I still look at the, like now I have a lot more financial freedom, obviously, but yeah. I still find it weird sometimes to spend money on yeah. nice things like food. Mm. But I I always think like these. this is every night I spend and have a good meal, it's always the best story ever. Mm. Like the, the other night yeah. when I came in and ate here, um, those experiences are so important to me now and it's kind of a reminder to me that I don't need to stress Mm -hmm. as much as I did when I was really coming up right and that if I want to enjoy good food and food is like you said such a mark of success and a mark of I think where you're at in your life Mm -hmm. I can do that Mm -hmm. but interestingly I still eat the same some of the same foods anyhow like it's always Italian it's Mm -hmm. always Italian. Italian food it's always pasta and all the episodes that you've done about dating and imposter syndrome, did people open up to you about food? Did a food ever come into their conversation? Yeah, 100%. And it's sad because when we talk about psychology and food, mm. it's often around eating disorders yeah, and body dysmorphia and diet culture. Mm. So I remember this episode I did um, called The Psychology of Diet Culture and yeah. How to Embrace Our Body, breaking down exactly why 
our relationship with food these days has become so skewed. You know, it's no longer about fueling your body. It's no longer about community and something to be shared. I think about my little sisters and, oh my God, I just think about, I would never want them to restrict food or not see it as this beautiful thing. It genuinely makes me really upset to think about it because I just think food is is not something that needs to have power over you Mm. and it should be something that liberates you and, and makes you feel happy and it makes you feel good emotions. But that's uh, people open up to me a lot about their relationship with food. With food. Yeah. And do, do you think that it's much more women, clearly, <clears throat> that have that, that issue because we're all brought up to fit into the right size or to be mm. look a certain shape? Do you think it's changing, though? Do you think amongst your friends who are in their 20s are thinking differently yeah, about I food? Are. I think it is mostly women. Obviously, men also experience this as well and it can be hard no matter who you are but I think the older you get as well the more you gain an identity where you realize that what you look like is not the most important thing about you Mm. your body is just a vessel for Mm. for something deeper for your soul for your thoughts and it was like this weird thing I noticed I worried about that a lot when I was younger I think there were times I had a very unhealthy relationship with food and I like turned 23 and I was like, wow, I suddenly don't care about this anymore. Mm. Like it's like my frontal lobe like clicked into gear and I was like, I'm going to eat so much amazing food because Mm -hmm. life is short and I love myself and I love my body and what it does for me. And if my body can do what I want it to do, of course I'm going to reward it with Mm. some amazing asparagus Mm. or Mm. the chocolate torta from Tony's. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is your food day like? What is your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or snacking? Mm, or So it changes because I'm traveling so much, but I think about um, the best food diary I can give you is when I'm at my parents' house mm-hmm. and what I eat there. So... I always wake up, I love avocado toast. It's just like it hits the spot every time. And there's this thing called Meredith's Goat's feta cheese. Do you have that? No. I don't think I can send it to you because I'll be breaking so many laws. But I'll come. When you're in Australia, I'm going to buy you a massive jar and you're going to smuggle it back. Okay. Um, Because it will change your life. It is the most amazing cheese and you you sprinkle it over and it's Mm. the cheese is in this olive oil and this Mm. massive glass jar and you drizzle the oil and I love having that for breakfast. Anytime I come home, my mom always has one in the fridge for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then lunch, I. I'm like not a very picky eater. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever's up, I will have some of that. But I love like a chicken salad. I love a mm. burrito. I snack a lot as well. Good. I love I love snacking. Mm. I love a kombucha. I love a juice moment. Mm. And like an almond croissant in the afternoon. Mm. Not bad. I love, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm from Australia. We drink a lot. So yeah. it's five o'clock. There's an Aperol in my hand. Uh, good. Or yeah, a chilled yeah. red, you know, yeah. at the moment because it's summer. And then... Uh, for dinner, I what have I been cooking recently? Actually, like my go-to meal is actually is like a 
peppered steak and then you and then I slice it up um, with a pita bread like a fresh pita mm-hmm. bed, bread and then tzatziki garlic dip hummus mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then tomato and beetroot and um, like spinach yeah and because I I live with three boys but obviously we have mm-hmm. different schedules so I always like bulk buy and then I'll just eat that for the week because mm-hmm. it's so much simpler but that's my really go-to at the moment and can I ask you, mm-hmm. your podcast seemed to have taken you into the realm of celebrity. You were talking about yesterday with, with your fans and that all these fans came to your podcast. Mm. What is that like and how did that happen? Um, it's, I don't know how it happened. I think, I really don't know. I think people just, they're looking for someone who's relatable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I am. Like mm-hmm. you heard my whole story, like... Mm. I had no real social media presence before this. I had like an Instagram with like 500 followers, my friends, my family. And I think that that really resonates with some people mm. because sometimes when you hear someone who is an established celebrity talking about things, you're like, well, how do you know what I'm going through? Mm-hmm. How do you know what it's like to be ghosted? Mm. Um, how do you know what it's like to have depressive episodes? And how do you know what it's like to struggle with money? Mm. It's like I know all those things because that was me. It's still me, but, you know... I'm in that decade. I'm in that part of my life. Um, and then we had this one episode on loneliness that I actually filmed when I, I just moved to Sydney, which is where I live now, after leaving Canberra. And I was sitting in my car. And by that stage, I'd stopped recording in my car. Mm. And I I had just gotten back from something. I was so lonely. Mm. And I just sat down with my phone and I was like, I'm feeling really lonely. And I mm. know those other people feeling like this. This is why I'm feeling lonely. This is the psychology that I know I'm going to like almost self-therapize here. Hmm. And it just like went viral. Everyone, no, it was like no one had talked about that before. And it was so funny, you know, humble beginnings back in the car again. And that's the one that really changed my life. Loneliness is huge. We did an interview with Brian Chesky who started Airbnb and he, as a kind of really interesting person, wanted to do something that invested in people. And he Mm. got in touch with the Surgeon General under Obama, and said, you know, take just go away. Here's your money. Just go away for six months or whatever, and study anything you want to, and see what's going on in this country, what's going on with young people, what's going on with the people staying Airbnbs. What can we do? And he came back after mm-hmm. months and months of research and looking at data and everything, and he said, there is one problem in this country. It's not depression. It's not anxiety. It's not economic fears it's loneliness mm. you know when you when you said that probably people really related to that and people you know are lonely with food the people are lonely and they cook people are you know in terms of my world you see people coming into a restaurant with a table of six or eight or ten or you see people coming in by themselves and he also said that loneliness has nothing to do with being alone you know that so, you can be in a marriage you can be a father you can be a mother you can be cooking for 20, but it's a big thing going on, mm-hmm. you know, which we're seeking to understand. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I always mm-hmm. say that on my show. I say that loneliness isn't your enemy, that you should embrace solitude. It's only natural, but also you could be surrounded by people and you could, it's mm-hmm. just an emotional state. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nothing more. It's yeah. an emotional state and yeah. you, can, you can get through it. So food is a great remedy, yeah. isn't it? Well, when you do feel that way about mm. your emotional state you might feel lonely you might feel sad you might feel um missing someone is there something that you would turn to 
Yeah. I, I actually know my answer straight away. Um, it, it, there's this soup that my mum used to make when I, was, when I was sick. It's a lentil and silver beet, silver beet soup with onion and, and um, chicken stock. I always eat that when I'm feeling down, and especially in winter. And then for dessert, I would be making that crumble, that, that cobbler. cobbler. <laughs> that cobbler. It's so easy. It's cheap. Yeah. I would, I've made it so many times. And interesting, you, you asked me that because when the show first became really big, I, it was actually really hard for me. I was really overwhelmed and actually quite sad for whatever reason. Like I said, it's just sure. an emotional state. Yeah. And that's what I cooked. Good. So there you go. Well, I hope you don't need to have comfort food, but if you do, those do sound very delicious yeah, uh, when they come. Thank and you. thank you so much for coming. Oh, I so love being with you. Thank you for thank having you. me. Can I can I tell you the other night when we had dinner, I said to my dad when I got home, I have a, I think I have a weird relationship with success. I'm always waiting for someone to take it away, mm-hmm. waiting for my luck to run out. And I said to him after the dinner that I had here. If this is like the best thing that happens, if this is like the best that it that it gets, I'm totally happy with that. Oh. It was such a great meal. I'm going to have great, lots and lots of yeah. great meals. The River Cafe Lookbook is now available in bookshops and online. It has over 100 recipes, beautifully illustrated, with photographs from the renowned photographer Matthew Donaldson. The book has 50 delicious and easy-to-prepare recipes, including a host of River Cafe classics that have been specially adapted for new cooks. The River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for cooks of all ages. Ruthie's Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.